Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. It's wonderful to see you this morning. And I'll tell you, I'm thankful for John and the sermon that he brought last week as we started this uh, uh, sermon series on generosity and, and stewardship, a generous life. And it's always interesting to me, as soon as we bring up generosity, everybody seems to immediately want to go to money. <laughs> and the truth is, we're talking about an outflow of the heart. We're talking about not just finances, obviously, material wealth, but we're talking about time. We're talking about serving. We're talking about grace. We're talking about all those things that really reflect the character of the Lord, the character of God. Uh, so we're going to continue on with that uh, this morning. Let me just let you know ahead of time. Uh, that I am praying deeply and fervently for all of you Green Bay Packer fans. I, um, I'm very concerned for you. I really am. And so, yeah, Chad, I figured I'd get it out. Hey, you weren't here at the time I was bringing up Dallas all the time, man. What's up? Anyway, it's, uh, it's going to be a good day, and, and we're just excited about that. So all you cheeseheads out there, God bless you. Know that you are in my thoughts and prayers, and I'm uh, hoping the best. Uh, for your response to be godly in Christ Jesus, okay? <laughs> All right, good. Somebody told me not to jinx this thing, and I, I couldn't resist. Last week, what we talked about, John shared, uh, God owns it all. Is there anything that the Lord does not own? We're stewards. We're not owners. We're taught ownership in our society, and, and there's a whole section and a whole way of dealing with that that I think is appropriate and correct. I absolutely believe in, in the rights of the individual in terms of how our nation is set up and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, fundamentally, we recognize that God owns everything. Amen? There, there's not one thing that we could put our hands on and say, well, Lord, thank you, this is mine, and, and you can't have it. <laughs> now, we tend to do that, but the truth of the matter is, is it, it's not ours. It's the Lord's. We're stewards, and as we come to Christ and as we're saved and as we begin to grow in maturity, I think the Lord begins to do a deeper inward work within us to help us to recognize that we don't own anything. And we're not just talking about material things. We're talking about our time. Do you own your time? Absolutely not. God is sovereign over time. Do you, do you own uh, the breath that you have in order to do the things that God has called us to, called you to? No. Everything is from the Lord. The Lord is the Lord. And so we submit to him. And whether it's uh, our material things, whether it's our time, whether it's our activities, whatever it may be, we begin to recognize more and more, or we should, that the Lord is sovereign over it all, that he owns it all, and that we get to be a part of what he is doing, what he's done, and what he alone is able to do. So when we talk about uh, stewardship, we talk about uh, a generous life, we, I think, need to start with the recognition that there's not one thing that we own, and that's essential. The second thing we need to really understand is the heart of God. See, when we talk about activity and we talk about giving, whether it's financial or whatever else it may be, time, etc., those are simply expressions of where our heart really is. 
when, when we look at uh, the different things that we participate in or the different things that we're doing or the different things that we're called to, all that is is an expression of where we are in our walk with the Lord, in our relationship with Christ. So if I'm attached to something and, and I'm not willing to give it, well, the activity is simply acknowledging the reality that I've got a heart problem, I've got a relationship problem with the Lord. And so we've got to go back to the root of the thing. We've got to go back not just to the activity, not just to the, the intended result, not just to the fruit. We've got to go back to the roots. And we've got to ask ourselves, is there an issue in our walk with the Lord himself? Do we understand who the Lord is? Are we truly yielded to him so that Christ in us is transforming us and then being revealed through us? Because if we're rightly related to Christ, guess what? We're going to be rightly related with regard to our environment, with regard to one another, with regard to things, with regard to time. We're going to be balanced in all of that because the Lord is the one who leads us, guides us, directs us, empowers us, and ultimately helps us be balanced in our walk. All the activities and all the things that we do are simply expressions of ultimately where we are in our walk, in our relationship with the Lord. So this morning when we, we look at this in terms of God's character, understand God is the giver. God is the giver. He doesn't just give. He doesn't just do the activity. He actually is that. It's an expression of his heart. It's an expression of who he is. When we talk about grace, we're talking about God doing something for us that we didn't deserve, that we can't earn, that we can't pay him back for, and he does it with joy because that's who he is. God is the giver, and he reveals this perhaps more so than in any other way by the gift of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, when we talk about giving, we talk about sacrifice. Some people, and from the financial standpoint, want to get into all the whole tithing issue and all the, all the how much and percentage, and we tend to, at times, put checklists to this. And we got to be careful about that. Because the real principle in the New Testament is sacrificial giving when it comes to money. Certainly when it comes to time, it's putting others in front of ourselves. It's putting the interests of others over our own interests. It's the idea that my life is not mine. And Lord, I'm willing to be used of you in whatever you choose to do. And as a result of that, there's an outpouring from my life in the activities, whether it's the attitudes or the activities of Christ in and through each and every one of us. Because when we talk about sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ hanging on that cross, dying for us is the greatest gift. And it's the expression of God's love and how he gives. It's out of his character. And when we are yielded to Christ and we begin to walk with the Lord, God in us begins to lead us to be sacrificial in all that we do. That's an amazing reality. Five things, right? How do we see God's character? How do we see that he's the giver? How do we recognize the character of God, the heart of God when it comes to giving 
Well, first of all, as I said, his son. Secondly, what did he do for us? He has given us his son, and as a result, if we have the son, what do we have? We have eternal life. Thirdly, he's given us of his spirit. He didn't leave us as orphans. He doesn't leave us on our own. This is not deistic Christianity where he gives us a bunch of commands and then says, well, let's see how well you do. This is God coming to dwell within us in order to empower us to do the very things that he commands us to do. Not only that, but he gives every good gift. Wow. Every good gift is from God. Think about that. And lastly, not least, but he's given us everything we need to walk godly in Christ Jesus. Everything that we need is in Christ. So first, when we talk about his character, we talk about who he is, we talk about how we look at him and recognize what we're not. Because <laughs> most of us look at him and say, oh, i got to do a better job in my life. No, no, no. Look at Christ and recognize that the reason the Lord came is to reveal to us, not in a condescending way, not in a put-down way, not in a condemning way, but to reveal to us our desperate need of him so that we could come to the acknowledgement, the reality of what we're not. But in Christ, what we have the potential of experiencing, of becoming because of his power, because of who he is, because of his ability to change us and transform us. When we talk about his heart, we talk about how we understand who he is. There's no greater example than his son. John 3.16, you know this well, for God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave. He gave. Wow. That word give there is the idea of giving abundantly and giving freely, no strings attached. Think about that. The Lord offers a gift, and he offers it to all, the world, each and every one of us. The question is, are we willing to receive it? Are we willing to receive it? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I love that phrase, only begotten son. It may be a little bit confusing because of the technical grammar of it, but literally what it means is the one-of-a-kind, unique son of God. Nobody else like him before, nobody else ever after. He is the son of God. He's the unique one. He's the only begotten of the Father. He's the perfect God-man. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, and I think this is so well said, whoever. I love hearing Rob share about this. Right? He has a story about how this verse was used, and, and I won't go into all the details, but I love it. Whosoever, whosoever. <laughs> I like hearing Rob say that. Whosoever, right? That's the picture. Anybody, everybody has the opportunity to come to know Christ. I love John chapter 1, verse 9, that he's come to enlighten every man. Everybody has the opportunity to recognize, as John 1, 5 says, that he's the light of the world. And then we get to verse 9. He's not just the light of the world, but he wants to shine the truth of the reality of who he is into the heart of every individual on this earth. Incredible. Whosoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful gift to be received. I love how Spiros speaks to this verse. He says, with reference to God's love, it is God's willful direction toward man. 
Did you catch that? It's not the emotional, it's not the feelings, it's his will. And understand that when he says God so loved the world, he made a decision on behalf of this world, and he does so with joy. He does it out of the character of who he is. Spiros goes on, he says, it involves God doing what he knows is best for man and not necessarily what man desires. Do you catch that? He's given a gift that many, unfortunately, say, oh, we didn't need that. Thank you very much. In fact, we don't want that. But the Lord knows what's necessary, and the Lord knows what we need, and he's given what is necessary. He's given what we need in spite of whether we think so or not. And then he goes on and he says this, for example, John 3.16 states, for God to love the world that he gave. What did he give? Not what man wanted, but what God knew man needed. In other words, his son to bring forgiveness to man. What a beautiful truth. Friend, if you're here today and you don't believe that you need the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you in something. The reason that God the Father sent the Son was to give his best for you so that you could be saved, that you could be forgiven, that you could experience not just biological life, but eternal life. You could be reconciled to the Father through the Son. You don't have to be under a performance. You don't have to try to measure up. You don't have to follow all kinds of laws legalistically and hope that someday when you come before whatever pearly gate that your good outweighs your bad. You can come before the Father and absolutely boldly understand that Jesus Christ died for you and the shed blood of Christ has forgiven you and as a result, you can and are, can be and are saved. That's the reality of it. Think about that. Amen. Listen, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you something. God loves you. God knows you. He knows every circumstance in your life. And his desire is for you to experience him, to be saved, to be reconciled, and to have. Not to hope for, not to wish for, not to wonder about, but to have eternal life. One of the ways we know God's heart is by his activity. His activity expresses his heart how do we know that God is the giver? Because he's given the greatest gift of all time to humanity in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? What a great statement. Why? Because nothing compares to the gift of Christ. If he gives us his son, there's nothing else that even is comparative to Christ. If he's given us his son, everything else is freely available to us as well. Think about that. When he gives us his son, he gives us the greatest gift. And as a result, we have access to him. And he makes it very clear here that he also, with him, with Christ, will freely give us all things. Well, secondly, he gives us eternal life. I mean, the word life isn't biological. It's not just the living part of what we do daily. It's not just the flesh and blood moments. 
It's eternal life. The word life is the essence of life. It's spiritual life. It's in Christ. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 says, The testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And he clarifies this very, very distinctly. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. You either have life or you don't. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you do not have spiritual life. You, have, you may have biological life, but you don't have spiritual life. That's amazing. Do you have the Son? Do you have the Son? As people who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and have the Son dwelling within us, guess what? We have eternal life. Life forever. Why are we so focused on the temporal? Why are we so focused on the now? Isn't the now just a springboard, a stepping place into the eternal? Why are we so attached to the stuff here when we know that we're going to be eternally with Christ forever and ever and ever? See, that's the issue. 1 John 5.20 says this, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. I love that. He's given us understanding. He's helped us to come to an understanding of something. And what is it? So that for the purpose of that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He's speaking to believers here. This is the true God and eternal life. His son, Jesus Christ, is the true God and eternal life. He's come to give us understanding so that we may know him. That word know means to experience him. As believers, we have the opportunity of experiencing the Lord every moment of every day. That's incredible. There's a truth that is presented in the person of Christ that Christ actually is. And that is that he's the true God and he is eternal life. Well, thirdly, he gives us of his spirit. 1 John 4.13 says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. How do we know that we're abiding in Christ? How do we know that he's abiding in us? Because he's given us of his spirit. What does his spirit do? His spirit leads us into all truth. His spirit convicts us of sin. His spirit is constantly empowering us, constantly walking with us in such a way as to use the word of God in order to renew our minds and to transform our activities. The spirit of God, the spirit of Christ lives within us. And in the midst of that... He begins to lead us and guide us and direct us and empower us with regard to who he's declared us to be. And in the process of that, as we yield to him, he begins to transform us into his image. What an amazing adventure that we have to walk with God day by day, moment by moment in the midst of life. He's given us his spirit. Fourthly, he gives good gifts. He gives good gifts. James chapter 1.17 is such a powerful verse on this. He says, every good thing given. Is there anything left out of that? <laughs> That's pretty unequivocal, right? Every good thing given. And every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. 
Every good thing literally means everything that is good in this world comes from God. If it didn't come from God, it's not good. If it comes from God, it's got to be good, even if we don't see the goodness in it. Think about that. There are times where at times we don't recognize the work that God is doing in our lives. And as a result, we tend to try to get out of it, get away from it. And we've got to learn to trust the Lord because every good gift is from the Lord. Everything that is good is from God, whether we recognize it or not at that particular moment. As we yield to the Lord and as we surrender to Christ and as we walk with the Lord, there are times where certain circumstances take place in our lives that we would actually cringe from. And yet the Lord desires to bring good out of it on our behalf. Because that's what he does. He also says every perfect gift is from above. This is actually referring to how God gives. Not just that every good thing is given and that it's from God, but the way in which he gives is always good. I love that. Have you ever received a gift from somebody that was done uh, in a way that kind of diminished the value of the gift itself? Think about that. When God gives a good gift, he not only gives something that is good because that's his nature, that's who he is, but he also does it in a specific way that is always good because that's his character. He doesn't put us down. He doesn't make us feel awkward. He desires for us to know him, to grow in him. And when he gives, he always gives in a way that reflects his character, and his goodness. The value of the gift is not diminished as a result of the way in which he gives. And then I love that phrase, coming down, coming down. It's, it's literally something that means to keep on coming down. It's not just a one-time moment. It's present active participle. And I know, forgive me, but present tense means all the time. Participle means it's an explanation of the state of being. See, when God gives, he doesn't just give it once. When he gives, he gives, and he gives, and he gives. And the way in which he gives is always reflective of his character. It never diminishes the way in which or what he's actually giving. And he's always doing it. (laughs) That's amazing, isn't it? Do you realize that we get to walk with the Lord every day, every moment of every day? And in the midst of our life, God is constantly revealing himself to us. God is constantly drawing us and inviting us to himself. The Lord is constantly working in such a way as to say, come to me, experience me, walk with me, enjoy me, trust me, believe in me, because he's able, no matter what the circumstance we may face. And lastly, where does it come from? comes from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. And I love this. The Lord never changes. The Father never changes. God never changes. He's the same yesterday as he is today, as he is forever. And so when we talk about the way in which God gives, not only does he give give good gifts all the time, the way in which he gives them is, is always reflective of his character. He's constantly giving And his character never changes. Those gifts 
are from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. There's not even the hint of a shadow of darkness in Christ. Darkness meaning sin. There's no motive here other than our best. There's never a motive with God that somehow is not descriptive of his purity, of his holiness, of his goodness. He doesn't give to manipulate. He doesn't give to put down. He doesn't give to embarrass. His motive is always based in his character, and his character is impeccable. There's no hint of a shadow of turning in God. And so when he gives, he gives wholeheartedly, he gives freely, he gives with goodness, and he gives with love, because that's who he is. Fifthly, everything that we need has been given to us in Christ. Wow. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says this, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power, his divine ability has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Did you catch it? His divine power has granted to us, has given to us freely, abundantly, and fully, completely, all that we need with regard to life and godliness. Now, what are we talking about? Are we talking about just going through a seminary class in order to come up with all the, the different doctrines to make sure that we are mentally in a good state? I can talk about soteriology, Christology, pneumatology, whatever. I can talk about all this stuff, and so I'm good. No, no, no. What he's talking about is the practicality of who God is in us, then being seen in and through us in the midst of of our lives, of our walk with God, from the grocery store to work to the car, driving up Academy with all the people that blockade Academy. In the midst of everything, we have the opportunity of walking with him, experiencing him. He has given us everything necessary to walk godly in Christ Jesus because he's given us Christ. All that we need, all the wisdom that we need, all the insight that we need, when we begin to walk away that is not from him, he begins to say, no, 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 come over here. You're my child. That's not my will for you. When we go to him and we ask him for wisdom, how does he give it? Does he give it with reproach? No, he gives liberally because that's who he is. He never puts us down for asking. He already knows that we need him. The question is, do we know that? When we begin to understand that he has given us Everything. He's granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. It takes away the excuses. Well, I can't do this, and I, Lord, I'm not sufficient for that. And I, well, that's true. We're not. That's correct. In and of our own strength, we can't. But guess what? I can do all things through Christ who does what? Who strengthens me. So all of a sudden, that person that God is leading and directing and prompting you in your heart to witness to, and you go, oh, no, I, I, I just don't think I could do that. Guess what? Christ can. <laughs> so you say, yes, Lord. 
Or all of a sudden you have an opportunity to serve and you go, oh, no, 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 I'm not qualified for that. I don't think I can, I can possibly do what is demanded of this. And you say, well, wait a second, wait a second. Maybe that's true in and of your own flesh, but guess what? Christ lives in you and he's given us Christ. He's given us everything that is necessary to live godly in Christ Jesus. And therefore, in him, you can. Think about that. It takes away all the excuses, folks. Well, I I can't release this material thing. I can't give this amount of money because, and we have all these reasons why we can't do something. And the truth of the matter is, is in our flesh, we certainly can't do it as the Lord would do it. We certainly would never even think about it apart from Christ in us, leading us and guiding us and directing us. But in Christ, guess what? We can. See, when we begin to understand the Christian life, we begin to understand Christ has come to live within us, to do through us what he knows that we can't do on our own. Thank God for that. What a privilege. What a challenge. I love this one statement, and I, we took as a staff, uh, you know, some of those personality tests called strength finders, and my, my number one strength is personality. It has nothing to do with spiritual gifts. has nothing to do with anything other than just kind of who I am. My number one strength came out as responsibility, and that's always been interesting to me uh, because I can, I can tell that as a, as a firstborn in my family. Oh, I felt so responsible to protect my brothers and sisters, or as a pastor, to guard and, and to, to make sure things are done right and all that kind of stuff. And there, there's all kinds of negative things that go along with that. You can get way over the top and you get all that kind of stuff. Amen. But there's a phrase that hit me between the eyes because of the way I think and because of the way I am. And it's that Christianity is not my responsibility. And when I first heard somebody say that, I went, what? What are you talking about? Well, listen to the rest of the phrase. Christianity is my response to his ability. Now think about that. That kind of clarifies a little, doesn't it? Christianity is not my responsibility. It's not my strength. It's not my wisdom. It's not who I am that's able to accomplish this. I can't look at the the person of Christ and raise up and measure up to his holiness and his purity and his goodness and his righteous deeds and his ability to give and the way that he gives. In and of my own strength, I can't do that. You know what? The Lord knows that. And so really Christianity becomes a response to his ability. It's a yes, Lord moment. And then it's a faith moment of saying, Lord, I'm willing. I'm persuaded that you are able in spite of my inability. I believe that you live in me. I believe that you're all powerful. I believe that you're all good. I believe that you can give like nobody else. And as a result, I say yes. (laughs) I like how Spiros again talks about this verse in 2 Peter 1.3 says, in 2 Peter 1.3, it's, it's used to denote the free giving of the power of God resulting in life and godliness. Did you catch that? The free giving of the power of God. Wow. Do you realize, do I even realize that we have all access to the full, infinite, powerful God? That's incredible. 
What problem are you going through in your life right now? What is it that's tripping you up, causing you to stumble? What's causing you to worry or doubt or be concerned in a way that it's distracting you? Do you understand that God, the infinite one, is available to you and that he gives himself freely and abundantly so that we can enjoy him and we can walk with him in life and in godliness? Spiros goes on, he says, the verb indicates that this divine power does not give life and godliness because somebody deserves it, but because it's available to all, it's a free gift. Wow, think about that. What's that called, folks? Come on. Yes, praise God. It's called grace. You mean I didn't earn it? I didn't deserve it? That's right. It's offered to everybody. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives it, and he gives it freely. It's offered to all. His divine power to change is given freely to everybody. How do we walk in it? By faith. Faith simply means to be persuaded. Lord, I believe you. I trust you. I'm willing to say yes to you. I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know how this is going to take place, but I'm willing. And so, Lord, I die to self, and I say yes to you. Ephesians 1.3, I love this verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Where? In Christ. In Christ. God loves to give. His character, the very essence of who he is, is to give. And he does it freely. He does it with grace. He does it abundantly. He does it with joy. And he shows it through the gift of his son, through the gift of eternal life, through the gift of his spirit. He shows it by the way in which he makes himself available to us so that we can experience his divine So how are we giving? Now that's a bit of a trap question, isn't it? How are we giving? Because we immediately tend to think of finances. I want to put giving into the whole category. It doesn't matter whether it's finances. It doesn't matter. How are we walking as stewards? How are we walking as generous believers? How is the life of Christ who has given us everything in himself in order to walk godly in Christ Jesus, how is that being revealed through our lives? How's it revealed when somebody cuts us off and we say, oh, that's okay, go ahead. How's it revealed when our food is late uh, at the restaurant and we say, hey, friend, that's okay. Love you in the love of Christ. You having a difficult day? Can we pray for you? How's it being revealed through our lives in the way we greet one another, in the way we treat one another, in the way we walk together? We give deference to one another. See, in the midst of it all, when we talk about serving one another, all of that's out of the heart of, heart of God. The activity is just reflective of our walk with the Lord, and our activity is just reflective of God working in and through our lives, or that we've taken things into our own hands, and we've decided to try to do it in and of our own strength. And at that moment, the activity kind of may be taking place, but there's no divine power in it. Therefore, there's no joy. There's no peace. There's no goodness. There's no love. So the activity itself becomes empty and meaningless. It actually becomes a distraction 
to the root of the problem. Romans 12 Verse 2, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Complete, complete. Conform means to be pressed into the mold of the world. Don't be pressed into the mold of this world. How do we view our time? How do we view our material things according to the way the world defines it to be? How are we serving in the way that the world defines service. When we talk about the life of Christ, we talk about who God is. Ultimately, fundamentally, the gift that God gives is wholeheartedly, with no strings attached, for the benefit of the person, whether they think so or not. (laughs) And in the midst of it, it is always self-sacrificial. As soon as we put self into the midst of it, We've missed the boat. We've missed the boat. God loves to give because that's who he is. And the expressions of his giving can be seen all over. The greatest expression is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to this earth in order to go to the cross to pay a ransom for our sin so that by believing in him, we may have life everlasting. Praise God. How are we walking with him today? And how is God being revealed in and through us? Let me give you one more thought. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. The word transformed is the same word that's used in Romans chapter 12. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. Here the idea is that we're being transformed as we behold the image of Christ, the glory of the Lord, and in the gospel of God's grace. And as we begin to understand more, and more who God is, as he reveals himself more and more to us, as we yield to him and say yes to him, as we recognize that everything belongs to him, that all my time, all my resources that I think are mine are actually his, and I'm willing to say, Lord, not only are all the things mine, all the things that I want to do are yours, but my life is yours. Then God begins to do a work in us to transform us into the very image of Christ, and he begins to be seen in and through our lives, in all the various activities of our lives. Praise God. How are you saying yes to the Lord today to walk with him in such a way that not only do you get to experience the transforming power of God in your life, his peace, joy, love, and all the rest, but also in the activities that he leads you in, He is being glorified. He is being revealed in and through your lives. Are we known as a people that are living generous lives? Because a generous God lives in us and is being revealed through us. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 